0: Section 15 of three science fiction novellas by Lee Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 3 of Shadrach, the Last Instantly, everyone in the cave fell silent. They watched the places in the cave wall where the sunlight came in, the little cracks in the cliff face. Trevor thought of the hawk creatures, and how they would be wheeling and slipping along the ravine, searching. Outside, the rough rock looked all alike. He thought that in that immensity of erosions and crevices they would have a hard time finding the few tiny chinks that led into the cave. But he watched too, intense with a feeling of danger. No sound at all came now from the ravine. In that utter stillness, the frightened whimper of a child came with the sudden loudness of a scream. It was instantly hushed. The shafts of sunlight crept slowly up the walls. Jen seemed not to breathe. Her eyes shone like an animal's. A black shadow flickered across one of the sunlight bars, flickered, and then was gone. Trevor's heart turned over. He waited for it to come back, to occlude that shaft of light, to slip along it and become a wide-winged demon with a sunstone in its brow. For a whole eternity he waited. But it didn't come back, and then a man crept in through the entry hole and said, "'They're gone.' Jan put her head down on her knees. She had begun to tremble all over, very quietly, but with spasmodic violence. Before Trevor could reach her, Hugh had her in his arms, talking to her, soothing her. She began to sob then, and Hugh glanced at Trevor across her shoulders. "'She's had a little too much.' "'Yes,' Trevor looked at the shafts of sunlight. "'Do the hawks come very often?' "'They send them every once in a while, "'hoping to catch us off guard. "'If they could find the cave, they could hunt us out of it, "'drive us back into the valley. "'So far they haven't found it.' "'Jan was quiet now. "'Hugh stroked her with big, awkward hands. "'She told you, I guess. "'About yourself, I mean. "'You've got to be careful.' Yes, said Trevor, she told me. He leaned forward. Listen, I don't know how you people got here or what it's all about. After we got away from the Corins, Jen said something about a landing 300 years ago. 300 earth years? About that, some of us have remembered enough to keep track. The first earth colonies were being started on Mercury about then, in two or three of the bigger valleys. "'Mining colonies. Was this one of them?' "'Hugh shook his head. "'No. The story is that there was a big ship "'loaded with some people from Earth. "'That's true, of course, because the ship is still here. "'What's left of it? And so are we. "'Some of the people on the ship were settlers "'and some were convicts.' "'He pronounced the word with the same hatred and scorn "'that always accompanied the name coran Trevor said eagerly. They used to do that in the early days, use convict labor in the mines. It made so much trouble they had to stop it. Were the Corans? They were the convicts. The big ship crashed in the valley, but most of the people weren't killed. After the crash, the convicts killed the men who were in charge of the ship and made the settlers obey them. That's how it all started. And that's why we're proud we're slaves because we're descended from the settlers. Trevor could see the picture quite clearly now, the more so because it had happened before in one way or another. The immigrant ship bound for one of the colonies, driven off its course by the tremendous magnetic disturbances that still made Mercury a spaceman's nightmare. They couldn't even have called for help or given their position. The terrible nearness of the sun made any form of radio communication impossible. And then the convicts had broken free and killed the officers, finding themselves unexpectedly in command of a sort of paradise, with the settlers to serve them. A fairly safe paradise, too. Mercury has an infinite number of these twilight valleys, all looking more or less alike from space, half hidden under their shadow blankets of air, and only the few that are both accessible and unmistakable because of their size have permanent colonies. Straight up and down, by spaceship, is the only way in or out of most of them, and unless a ship should land directly on them by sheer chance, the erstwhile prisoners would be safe from discovery. But the sunstones, asked Trevor, touching his forehead, what about the sunstones and the hawks? They didn't have the use of them when they landed." "'No, they came later.' Hugh looked around uneasily. "'Look, Trevor, it's a thing we don't talk about much. "'You can see why when you think what it's done to us, "'and it's a thing you shouldn't talk about at all. "'But how did they get them in their heads, and why? "'Especially why do they waste them on the hawks?' "'Jen glanced at him somberly from the circle of Hugh's arm. "'We don't know exactly.' "'but the hawks are the eyes and ears of the Korans, "'And from the time they used the first sunstone, "'we've had no hope of getting free of them. "'The thing had been buried in Trevor's subconscious "'since last night's questioning came suddenly to the surface. "'Thought waves, that's it, sure.' "'He leaned forward excitedly, "'and Jen told him frantically to lower his voice. "'I'll be damned. "'They've been experimenting with sunstones for years on Earth.' ever since they were discovered, but the scientists never thought of. Do they have the stones on Earth, too? asked Jan, with loathing. Oh, no, only the ones that are brought from Mercury. Something about Mercury being so close to the sun, overdose of solar radiation and the extremes of heat, cold, and pressure while the planet was being made that formed that particular kind of crystal here. I guess that's why they're called sunstones. He shook his head. So that's how they work. Direct mental communication between the corns and the hawks, by means of the stones. Simple, too. Set them right in the skull, almost in contact with the brain, and you don't need all the complicated machines and senders and receivers they've been monkeying with in the labs for so long. He shivered. I'll admit, I don't like the idea though. There's something repulsive about it. Hugh said bitterly, when they were only men and convicts, we might have beaten them some day, even though they had all the weapons. But when they became the Corons, he indicated the darkening clothes of the cave. This is the only freedom we can ever have now. Looking at Hugh and Jan, Trevor felt a great upwelling of pity for them. "'and for all these far-removed children of earth "'who were now only hunted slaves "'to whom this burrow in the rock meant freedom.' "'He thought with pure hatred of the Korans who hunted them "'with the uncanny hawks "'that were the far-ranging eyes and ears and weapons. "'He wished he could hit them with. "'He caught himself up sharply. "'Letting his sympathies run away with him "'wasn't going to do anybody any good.' The only thing that concerned him was to get a hold of that sunstone again and get out of this devil's pocket. He'd spent half a life hunting for the stone, and he wasn't going to let concern over perfect strangers sidetrack him now. The first step would be getting away from the cave. It would have to be at night. No watch was kept on the ledges, for the hawks did not fly in darkness, and the Corans never moved without the hawks. Most of the people were busy in those brief hours of safety. Women searched for edible moss and lichens. Some of the men brought water from the stream at the canyon fork, and others, with stone clubs and crude spears, hunted the great rock lizards that slept in the crevices, made sluggish by the cold. Trevor waited until the fourth night, and then when Saul's water party left, he started casually out of the cave after them. "'I think I'll go down with them,' he told Jen and Hugh. "'I haven't been down that far since I got here.' "'There seemed to be no suspicion in them of his purpose. Jen said, "'Stay close to the others. "'It's easy to get lost in the rocks.' "'He turned and went into the darkness after the water party. "'He followed them down to the fork, "'and it was quite easy then to slip alongside the tumbled rock and leave them.' working his way slowly and silently downstream. After several days in the dimness of the cave, he found that the starshine gave him light enough to move by. It was hard going, even so, and by the time he reached the approximate place where Saul had tried to kill him, he was bruised and cut and considerably shaken. But he picked his spot carefully, crossed the stream, and began to search. The chill deepened, THE ROCKS THAT HAD BEEN HOT UNDER HIS HANDS TURNED COLD, AND THE frost FROSTRIME settled LIGHTLY ON THEM, AND TREVOR SHIVERED AND SWORE AND SCRAMBLED, FIGHTING THE NUMBNESS OUT OF HIS BODY, PRAYING THAT NONE OF THE LOOSE RUBBLE WOULD FALL ON HIM AND CRUSH HIM. HE HAD PROSPECTED ON MERCURY FOR A LONG TIME, OTHERWISE HE WOULD NOT HAVE LIVED. HE FOUND IT MORE EASILY THAN HE COULD HAVE DONE BY DAY, WITHOUT A DETECTOR he saw the cold pale light of it gleaming down among the dark broken rock where salt had thrown it he picked it up he dangled the thing in his palm touching it with loving fingertips it had a certain cold repellent beauty glimmering in the darkness a freakish byproduct of mercury's birth pangs unique in the solar system its radioactivity was a type and potency harmless to living tissue and its wonderful sensitivity had made it possible for physicists to explore at least a little into those unknown regions above the first octave. In a gesture motivated by pure curiosity, he lifted the stone and pressed it tight against the flesh between his brows. Probably it wouldn't work this way. Probably it had to be set deep into the bone. It worked! Oh God, it worked! Something had him! Something caught him by the naked brain and would not let go. Trevor screamed. A thin, small sound was lost in the empty dark, and he tried again, but no sound would come. Something had forbidden him to scream. Something was in there, opening out the leaves of his brain like the pages of a child's book, and it wasn't a hawk or a corin. It wasn't anything human or animal that he had ever known before. IT WAS SOMETHING STILL AND LONELY AND REMOTE, AS ALIEN AS THE MOUNTAIN PEAKS THAT TOWERED UPWARD TO THE STARS, AND AS STRONG, AND AS UTTERLY WITHOUT MERCY. TREVOR'S BODY BECAME CONVULSED. EVERY PHYSICAL INSTINCT WAS DRIVING HIM TO RUN, TO ESCAPE, BUT HE COULD NOT. IN HIS THROAT NOW THERE WAS A QUEER, WAILING whimper. HE TRIED TO DROP THE SUNSTONE. HE WAS FORBIDDEN. Rage began to come on the heels of horror, a blind protest against the indecent invasion of his most private mind. The whimpering rose to a sort of cat-like squall, an eerie and quiet insane sound in the narrow gorge, and he clawed with his free hand at the one that held the sunstone tight against his brows. He tore it loose, a wrench that almost cracked his brain in two. A flicker of surprise just before the contact broke, and then a fading flash of anger, and then nothing. Trevor fell down. He did not quite lose consciousness, but there was an ugly sickness in him, and all his bones had turned to water. It seemed a long time before he could get to his feet again. Then he stood there shaking. There was something in this accursed valley. There was something or someone who could reach out through the sunstones and take hold of a man's mind. It did that to the corans and the hawks, and it had done it for a moment to him, and the horror of that alien grasp upon his brain was still screaming inside him. But who he whispered hoarsely, and then he knew that the word was wrong. what? For it was not human, it couldn't be human. Whatever had held him there wasn't man or woman, brute or human. It was something else, but what it was he didn't want to know. He only wanted to get out. Out. Trevor found that he had begun to run, bruising his shins against rocks. He got a grip on himself, forcing himself to stand still. His breath was coming in great gasps. He still had the sunstone clenched in his sweating palm and he had an almost irresistible desire to fling the thing away with all his strength. But even in the grip of alien horror, a man could not throw away the goal of a half a lifetime and he held it and hated it. He told himself that whatever it was that reached through the sunstones could not use them unless they were against the forehead close to the brain. THE THING COULDN'T HARM HIM IF HE KEPT IT AWAY FROM HIS HEAD. A TERRIBLE THOUGHT RENEWED TREVOR'S HORROR. HE THOUGHT OF THE CORINS, THE MEN WHO WORE SUNSTONE SET FOREVER IN THEIR BROWS. WERE THEY, ALWAYS AND ALWAYS, IN THE ICY, ALIEN GRIP OF THAT WHICH HAD HELD HIM? AND THESE WERE THE MASTERS OF JEN'S PEOPLE? HE FORCED THAT THOUGHT AWAY. HE HAD TO FORGET EVERYTHING EXCEPT HOW TO GET FREE OF THIS PLACE. He started at once, still shaken. He couldn't go far before daylight, and he would have to lie up in the rocks through the day and try to make it to the valley wall the next night. He was glad when daylight came, the first fires of sunrise kindling the peaks that went above the sky. It was at that moment that a shadow flickered, and Trevor looked up and saw the hawks. Many hawks. They had not seen him, They were not heeding the rocks in which he crouched. They were flying straight up the ravine, not circling or searching now, but going with a sure purposefulness back the way he had come. He watched them uneasily. There were more than he had ever seen together before. But they flew on up the ravine without turning, and were gone. They weren't looking for me, he thought, but... Trevor should have felt relieved. But he didn't. His uneasiness grew and grew, stemming from an inescapable conclusion. The hawks were going to the cave. They were heading toward it in an exact line, turning neither right nor left, and this time they were not in any doubt. They, or whoever or whatever dominated them, knew this time exactly where to find the fugitives. But that's impossible, Trevor tried to tell himself. There's no way they could suddenly learn exactly where the cave is after all this time. No way? A thing was forcing its way up into Trevor's anxious thoughts, a realization that he did not want to look at squarely, not at all. But it would not be put down. It would not stop tormenting him. And suddenly he cried out to it, a cry of pain and guilt. No, it couldn't be, It couldn't be through me they learned. It fronted him relentlessly. The memory of that awful moment in the canyon when whatever had gripped him through the sunstone had seemed to be turning over the leaves of his brain like the pages of a book. The vast and alien mind that had gripped his in that dreadful contact had read his own brain clearly. He knew. And in Trevor's brain and memories it had found the secret of the cave. Trevor groaned in an agony of guilt. He crawled out of his rock heap and began to run back up the ravine, following the path the hawks had taken. There might still be time to warn them. Stumbling, running, he passed the canyon fork. And now, from above him in the canyon, he heard the sounds he dreaded, the sounds of women screaming and men shouting hoarsely in fury and despair farther on over the rocks, scrambling slipping gasping for breath he came to the cave mouth and the sight he had dreaded the hawks had gone into the cave and driven out the slaves they had them in the canyon now and they were trying to herd them together and drive them down toward the lava beds but the slaves were fighting back dark wings beat and thundered in the narrow gorge between the walls of rock Claws struck and lashing tails cut like whips. Men struggled and floundered and trampled each other. Some died. Some of the hawks died too. But the people were being forced farther down the canyon under the relentless swooping of the hawks. Then Trevor saw Jen. She was a little way from the others. Hugh was with her. He had shoved her into a protecting hollow and was standing over her with a piece of rock in his hands, trying to beat off a hawk. Hugh was hurt badly. He was not doing well. Trevor uttered a wild cry that voiced all the futile rage in him and bounded over a slope toward them. Hugh, look out, he yelled. The hawk had risen and then had checked and turned to swoop down straight at Hugh's back. Hugh swung partly around, but not soon enough. The hawk's claws were in his body, deep. Hugh fell down. Jen was screaming when Trevor reached them. He didn't stop to snatch up a rock. He threw himself onto the hawk that had welded itself to Hugh's back. There was a horrid, slippery thrashing of wings under him, and the scaly neck of the thing was terribly strong between Trevor's hands— but not strong enough. He broke it. It was too late. When his sight cleared, Jan was staring in a strange wild way at the man and hawk lying tangled together in the dust. When Trevor touched her, she fought him a little, not as though she saw him really, not as though she saw anything but Hugh's white ribs sticking out. Jan, for God's sake, he's dead. Trevor tried to pull her away. We've got to get away from here. There might be a chance. The Black Hawks were driving the humans down the canyon a little below them now, and if they could make the tumbled rocks below the cliff, there was a chance. End of Section 15